The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. My name is Belinda Bell, and today's scripture reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's crumbs and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sodom to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. After taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to the heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you for that, Belinda. I'm not sure it was announced here this morning or not that we actually sent out an email about an hour before this service canceling our services. And uh, apologies to those of you who didn't get the email in time. Grateful to have a handful of you here. Uh, The rest of us uh, presumably joining uh, online. And uh, hey, the word of God moves forward even on icy Sundays. Uh, Folks uh, who are dialing in from home, the roads are icy. And so we want to encourage you to stay at home uh, today. And just like we want to encourage the handful of folks who have showed up this morning to drive 10 miles an hour on your way uh, back home and be very, very careful out there, but grateful to be able to be here and to preach the gospel. It is one of my favorite things to do under any uh, conditions, and uh, that's what we've been doing in this series. We've been preaching the gospel from a gospel, the gospel according to Mark, and this week we come to uh, the message uh, that we're calling Jesus our advocate, Jesus who stands in and advocates for and supports and helps those who need help. And so I'll start this way. If Charles Darwin were ever right about something, uh, it was the notion that the survival of the fittest is embedded not only in 
nature, but also in the human heart. Human beings, ever since there have been human beings, have acted as if the strong will and must outlast the weak, and the weak can be discarded. When Hitler came to power, he eventually, as he gained more and more power, came up with a term to describe the disabled, the sick, the elderly, and the weak. Hitler called the weak useless eaters. Useless eaters. More recently, Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, there was a, an article recently about her in USA Today. Uh, many do not know she was a participant in a project called the Negro Project, the goal of which was to exterminate the earth uh, of people with black and brown skin. Margaret Sanger was a eugenics advocate who favored, and I quote, these are her words, the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of defective stocks, those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. It's a very elaborate way of saying certain people should be allowed to live and other people should not. They're limited resources, and so the finest flowers should be the ones who get access to those resources, and the human weeds should be discarded. It's chilling, isn't it? This is one of the things I'm most proud of when I think of Christ Presbyterian Church. This is a church that prizes that doesn't just allow, that doesn't just welcome, but that prizes men and women and children with disabilities, with special needs, uh, who are experiencing some form of weakness, especially chronic weakness. We actually have staff, programming, and resources oriented around supporting people and households that are affected by disabilities and special needs. It's one of the greatest things about our church, and it's, it's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I believe that God continues to bless our church. Because the kingdom, the kingdom of God belongs to the little ones, and the kingdom of God belongs to those who are in a position of weakness, which makes terminology like useless eaters and human weeds even more chilling and nauseating. And yet here we have a conversation where it appears that even Jesus Christ might be using derogatory terminology toward a weak party. He gets into a conversation with a Gentile woman about dogs. Now dogs during those days were not especially in this culture, domesticated. They were considered mongrels, scavengers, vile, dirty creatures, carriers of disease, a lot like we might think about raccoons or other forms of roadkill. It was a derogatory term, and in Jewish society, which Jesus was part of, the term dog was often used as a derogatory racist term toward people who were not ethnically Jewish, toward Gentiles. 
And so here comes this woman. She's desperate because her daughter is at home with what's described as an unclean spirit. And she's at Jesus' feet. Please heal my daughter. Please heal my daughter. Please heal my daughter. And his answer is, it is not appropriate to give the children's food to the dogs. What? Could, could, could Jesus have said something like this? It, this? This sounds so out of character for Jesus to use a derogatory term like that. And so, so what I want to do is help us understand what's actually going on in this conversation and especially help us understand what Jesus' heart is toward the weak and toward those who are considered outsiders. Three points today. He dismantles our prejudices. He doesn't have prejudice. In fact, he's dismantling it here. He cannot help but help those who cry for help. And then finally, there is plenty of room at his table for anyone who comes. First, Jesus dismantles all Prejudice. It seems like he's doing the opposite here by using the term dog with this Gentile woman. But we have to look at the context. Jesus has made a choice to go in to the cities of Tyre and Sidon, which are both Gentile territory. And he's doing that to get away from the massive crowds in the Jewish territory. He's going there for some rest, for some lodging and for some rest, but in those days it was unheard of for Jewish rabbis to stain their feet with Gentile soil. It was a scandalous thing for Jesus, a rabbi, to seek rest and shelter in Gentile territory. We see him doing this throughout the Gospels. This isn't an isolated incident. In the, ninth, in the ninth chapter of Luke, it says that Jesus took his disciples not around Samaria, but through Samaria. And of course, Jews despised Samaritans so much that they wouldn't even engage them in conversation. And, and the, the Samaritans started to get a bit snarky toward Jesus and his disciples. And the disciples said, Lord, you have all power. How about we just call fire down? on these Samaritans. Show them that God is on our side. Let's call some fire down on them. And what Jesus does is he turns to his disciples and he rebukes them for having this thought. But the other thing that Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, is doing here is he's engaging not only a Gentile, but a woman in conversation, which in our day and age, of course. But in that day and in that age, again, it was unheard of. In John chapter 4, if you're familiar with Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, again in Samaria, where he took his disciples through Samaria instead of around Samaria, it says that both the woman, the Samaritan woman, and also Jesus' disciples were marveling that Jesus would engage a woman in conversation. But Jesus doubles down in Luke chapter 10, he invites Mary and allows Mary to sit at his feet. That's what, that's what seminary students did. They sat at a, at a rabbi's feet to train for ministry. And here Jesus is welcoming a woman to learn at his feet that she might then become a servant of God and an expert in the word of God. 
At the end of Mark's gospel, which we're going through right now, we see that Mary Magdalene is chosen by the angel of the Lord to be the first eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, who, like this Gentile woman's daughter, who had also had an unclean spirit at one point. You see how Jesus is bringing things full circle here. The other thing a rabbi would never do is touch a sick person. But Jesus doesn't just touch this this man who was born deaf and, and with a speech impediment. He takes saliva out of his own mouth and puts it on the man's tongue. He actually reaches into the man's mouth. He doesn't just touch his outside. He reaches inside the man, puts his own spit on the man's tongue and heals him. Jesus also went around touching contagious sick people like the lepers. And in fact, healing the sick became in the early church, as we see in James chapter 5, something that that, that was also an occasion to, to touch or to lay your hands on somebody and pray for them for healing. Now, it was unheard of, again, because... Sick people were regarded as unclean and therefore as unfit for worship. And if you touched a sick person or a diseased person, you were considered unclean. And So here we have Jesus dismantling all of these prejudices, dismantling all of these, these notions that there is such a thing as a human weed, that there is such a thing as a useless eater, because there's not. Every person has dignity, and and in fact, those who are most disabled also are entitled to the most attention, to double down on the affirmation of their dignity. That's what Jesus does, because that's who Jesus is. But more surprising here to them, back to the point, than his use of the word dog in his conversation with the woman is that he is friendly with those that the Jews regard as dogs. He is being kind to them. You know, even the disciples, when, when, they, when they encountered a blind man, this is in John chapter 9, they turned to Jesus and they said, Who sinned, Lord? Who committed the sin? Was it this man or was it his parents? that caused him to be blind. And Jesus' answer is, your premise is all wrong. Your premise is all wrong. This man isn't blind because he or his parents sinned. This man is blind because God is going to glorify himself through this man's weakness and through this man's immobilizing disability. It's as if Jesus is saying, don't you dare curse those that I call blessed. Now, for those who understand these things about Jesus, that in fact he is kind, especially toward the weak, your surprise is that he would call this woman a dog. Or he would use this dog language in his conversation with a vulnerable woman. Now, two points here. First, if Jesus ever did call a person a dog, he would have a right to do so even to do so in a derogatory way. In fact, he does so with King Herod, who, not unlike Hitler, regarded certain members of the population as useless eaters, who, not unlike Margaret Sanger, regarded certain people as human weeds. And because of of that reality in their hearts, 
Jesus actually did call in a derogatory way King Herod, a man in power who oppressed people, a fox. And a fox, like a dog, was an unclean animal. So he is known to actually insult certain people, but not this kind of person. A person in power who oppresses and injures others, yes, Jesus would pull out the bad words sometimes. Pull out the hurtful words sometimes. But not for a woman like this. There's something else going on. What is happening here, and this is where the the Greek, the original language is necessary. Jesus is using the diminutive form of the word dog. The word, the accurate translation would be her puppy. Her puppy. And when you hear the word puppy, do you feel contempt? No, you feel warmth. You feel tenderness. Because who doesn't love puppies? It's an affectionate term. You know, N.T. Wright remarks, this is not an insult or expression of contempt, but rather it is teasing banter that is happening between this woman who's got quite a wit of her own. She's clever. She's witty. And Jesus enters into and acknowledges and esteems and respects her cleverness and her wittiness. Teasing banter, not contemptuous insult. She is a mama bear. Her baby, her puppy, is at home suffering the torture of an unclean spirit. Now, if your child is in trouble. And those of you who are parents, you know this. If your child is in trouble, you're going to go to the mat. You're going to do whatever it takes to help your child. And that's what she's doing here. She's going to the mat. There have been parents in our own community who have oriented and reoriented their entire budgets, their entire family budgets, their entire family calendar, the way that they live their whole lives around the distress of one single child. That's how much a mother wants to care for the needs and especially tend to the hurts of her own Children, you'll reorient your whole family budget and your whole family calendar around the needs and the sorrows and the struggles of one child. We've actually had people move to Nashville, Tennessee to be part of Christ Presbyterian Church without a job waiting for them to be part of this church because of what we're doing in the space of people with disabilities and special needs. People will reorient their lives around the needs of their children. That's what she's doing. That's what Jesus is honoring in this teasing banter with her. This woman doesn't show any signs of actually believing in Jesus or or, or having any history of, of, of faith around, you know, the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. She demonstrates no knowledge of the Psalms, All she knows is that there are rumors going around that this man, Jesus, has a reputation for healing people that otherwise can't be healed. And and, and notice she doesn't come to him with a spirit of entitlement. There's no entitlement in her. She says, even the dogs, 
It's as if to say, let's say that my daughter and I are dogs. Let's just say that for the sake of argument, that we are dogs. Okay, there's a rumor, sir, that you are kind to puppies. Somebody has said that you once said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven is about healing, right? So here I am, a dog bringing her puppy. Are the rumors true? She's not asking for the seat at the table, for a seat at the table either. All she's asking for is leftovers. We can eat off the floor. Just let some crumbs drop on the ground and we'll, we'll eat off the ground. We don't even need a table. We don't need a plate. We're not beneath eating off the floor. We're not beneath leftovers being our main course. Jesus then responds, the demon has left your daughter. Not your puppy, not your little dog, not your little mongrel, your daughter. The image bearer, whom we both love. To whom both of our hearts are going out. The demon has left your daughter. And here he, he makes sure that he says these words with an audience. But then he goes on to, you know, he acknowledges in this passage that the Bible says that, that he came first for the Jews. But we must not mistake that to mean that he came only for the Jews. This isn't about who matters more. This is just about sequence. But it's not a new idea. You know, faith and salvation began with the Jews all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to Abraham, where God says to him, you're going to become the father of all nations, of all nations. I'm the God of the Jews and I'm the God of the Gentiles. Psalm 96, King David, if there ever was a Jew, it was King David, who wrote, declare God's glory among all of the nations. And then Isaiah 35, whom Jesus is putting himself forward as the fulfillment of. Isaiah 35 says that the Messiah will come and then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. He dismantles all prejudices. He's not affirming prejudice, he's dismantling it. Secondly, he cannot help but help those who cry for help. So there's another man here in this account. He's disabled in a different way. In his hearing and his speech, he has a disability. And, and what it says here is that Jesus looked to heaven. This is another Gentile. And, it, and he sort of disregards the, the, the sequence of his calling, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He says, I'm going to put that aside for now because there's a hurting man in front of me. And it says that Jesus looked to heaven and he sighed. Now the Greek word here means that he, he moaned, he groaned, he wailed before he healed the man. Why would he moan and groan and wail and sigh when he knows he's about to give the man the ability to speak that he's never had and to give the man the ability to hear that he's never had before. He knows he's about to heal the man, so why would he stop and moan and groan and sigh? 
For the same reasons that he would stop and moan and groan and sigh at the tomb of Lazarus only a few minutes before he called the dead man to rise and come out. He knew that healing was right around the corner. He knew that that there would be celebrating and dancing in the streets for the miracle he was about to perform. And yet, what does it say in John chapter 11? Jesus first stopped and he wept. He wept. And, and, And he also stopped and got furious. He was angry. He was enraged at death. And the vandal that death is. And the vandal that disease is to human dignity. Empathy first, then action. He doesn't just come to fix things. He comes us to love us. <laughs> he comes to love us. Which is our even greater need. Even greater need than to be fixed is to be loved. And so he comes in and he loves his hurting people first. And then he brings healing. And what triggers his mercy? It's in verse 26 and 32. Both the woman and the man, it says, begged him. Jesus has a soft spot for beggars. Jesus has a soft spot for people who say, it's not above me anymore. Or I'm sorry, it's not beneath me anymore to to have leftovers even. And, and, And when we say it's not beneath me anymore to have leftovers, Jesus says, here's the feast. Here's the prime cut. Here are seconds and thirds and fourths. Eat and drink to your heart's delight. Jesus has a soft spot for beggars. You know, Steve Brown said, what is a Christian? Christian, a Christian is a beggar who is telling other beggars with joy where to find the bread. That's what a Christian is. That's what a fully alive Christian is. And that's what happens with this mute man. Jesus says to him and everybody else, don't tell anybody what I just did. And they can't help but go tell everybody what he just did. Isn't it amazing how we've reversed that? Now Jesus says, go tell everybody, and we don't tell anybody. Which raises the question, have we really been healed? Or are we still entitled? Have we never begged yet? He reaches into this mute man's mouth with his own spit, also a fluid, a body fluid that was considered unclean touches his tongue, heals him. And and, and from his perspective, from the man's perspective, from this woman's perspective, Jesus, in healing her daughter, in healing his disabilities, Jesus has given them the whole world. And, and, And what Jesus is saying is, nope, all I've given you so far is what you asked for, crumbs. Your ability to speak and hear, just a crumb. Your daughter being healed of this torturing spirit, just a crumb. You haven't seen anything yet. Isaiah again. Chapter 64. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen. Any God besides the Lord who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. This is a signal that one day the whole world is going to be touched. And healed. One day the whole, Jesus is going to speak in the whole world will be void for forevermore of death, mourning, crying, pain, suffering, sorrow, disease, prejudice. 
You know, one of the commentaries says that Jesus is just giving the movie trail, trailer for, for an Oscar-winning film or an appetizer for a five-star feast or, 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 a, or a spark to ignite the village bonfire. You have not seen anything yet. And wh- what, has rem- what remains to be seen after your daughter is healed and after you're able to now talk and, and to hear, here it is. Paul's letter to the Gentile church at Galatia There is now neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Even if you're a Gentile, I came for you first. Not to give you leftovers, but to give you a feast. Because you're considered a Jew. You're considered priority if you have faith. Whatever your ethnic descent might be. Whatever your gender might be, whatever your social status might be, you are heirs according to the promise. Not the puppies on the ground getting leftovers, but heirs with a seat at the table. No crumbs for you. Finally, there's plenty of room at Jesus' table. Remember the ground where where the woman says... We'll have crumbs down here. Remember what else is on the ground? The hem of Jesus' garment. Where if a a sick or infirm person were to touch that hem, the power would, would mysteriously go out of Jesus and into them and they would be healed. And he would be sapped. He would need a nap. He would need to go into the Gentile territory to look for some lodging and some rest. But once you've touched the hem of Jesus' garment on the ground, you are now able to rise and take the seat that you are entitled to at the table. Rise to your dignity, Jesus says. Unclean spirit, disability, gone. And if you had an unclean spirit or a disability, a physical disability in those days, you, you would be known as being a spectacle, as an object of judgment and scorn. And people would call you things like a useless eater or like a human weed. And so Jesus, this is a detail that's easy to miss. He did not parade the event. He he speaks a word. He doesn't say, bring me your daughter, because why not just heal her in private? She's she's accustomed already to being a spectacle. I'm not going to make a show of this. I'm just going to say she's healed and she's healed. And and he takes the man who is deaf and and can't speak aside, it says, into a private place. And maybe in that private place, he says, you know, before I do this, let me let you in on something. My number one prophet in the Old Testament, he had a speech impediment, just like you, Moses. Who knows how God's going to use your voice, your stammering tongue after I do what I'm about to do and heal you in the way that I'm about to heal you. Rise to your dignity, Jesus says to them. And then he says, rise to your rightful place. 2 Samuel chapter 9. David has just become king, and this this will begin our introduction to the Lord's Supper. David has become king, and he asks the question with regard to the household of his prior, of his predecessor, the violent King Saul. Is there anyone from the house of Saul to whom I can show favor? For Jonathan's sake, the son of Saul. And in 
they bring a man, a young man named Mephibosheth, who is described as one who is crippled in both feet. And Mephibosheth is terrified because according to custom, a new king would execute all of the descendants of the predecessor's family so that there wasn't a coup. Mephibosheth's assumption is that the hands of a king are violent hands. That's all he'd ever seen in his grandfather Saul. And so he's assuming that the hands of King David are going to be violent hands, but instead, David turns to Mephibosheth. Oh, by the way, Mephibosheth says, Mephibosheth says to David, and I quote, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? And David reverses the verdict. Don't call yourself a dog, call yourself a son. You will always have a seat at the king's table. The woman saw here what Mephibosheth had not seen. And, 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 and as a result of that, she pleads with Jesus, not on the basis of her own goodness, but on the basis of Jesus' goodness. Please heal my daughter. Because the hands of the king are rumored to be healing hands, and so shall the rightful king be known, as Tolkien once said. And so now on this table, notice there are no crumbs on the ground, because there are no dogs here. There's bread and there's cup. There's a cup representing his body and his blood and the memory of how God's own puppy was devoured alive by scavengers and mongrels and the vile. Treated like a useless eater, treated like a human weed, treated like someone who was unfit for survival, bathed in human spit, Jesus was. And he cries out from that place, Father, these are my puppies. They have an unclean spirit. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Give them a seat at our table. You catch this? In being treated like a dog, Jesus became man's best friend. Receive him now. Will you pray with me? From the 121st Psalm, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen.